Well, hello everyone. My name is Kevin Rognes, and I'm the Discipleship Director here at Faith Covenant Church. I just want to say thank you for watching or listening to this episode today, whether you're watching on YouTube or listening on any of the major platforms. And as always, I want to encourage you to subscribe if you haven't already to make sure that you never miss an episode because we're putting out content on a weekly basis that we hope is really helpful for you. And if you ever have any questions or things you want us to cover in the podcast, please send me an email. My email address is in the uh, information area about the episode. So today we're doing an episode about the sacraments. It's our third episode about the sacraments, the third and final for now. Um, And so we've been talking about these first with Pastor Shar and Pastor Sarah. And today I am joined by Pastor Brad, our lead pastor here at Faith Covenant. So thank you for being here, Brad. And we're going to be talking about communion. But before we do that, I want to just ask Brad a little bit about what the sacraments mean. Because one of the definitions that I've been using in this series mm-hmm. is that the sacraments are an outward sign of inward grace and something that were instituted by Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, how would you think about the sacraments? Yeah, so I would go in line with that in regard... When, when we think back to... What what did Jesus institute for the church that helps us understand uh, more fully uh, the grace God is bestowing upon us through Christ? Okay, and so a sacrament is a in one sense a sacred moment whereby we are participating and experiencing. Something physical, like baptism, bread and cup, the Lord's Supper. And in so doing, we are participating with the Holy Spirit in a demonstration and an experience of God's grace that helps us become, that helps us grow as disciples of Jesus. All right. And so here in the Evangelical Covenant Church, which is the denomination that we're a part of, uh, we practice two sacraments, and Brad mentioned them. They're baptism and communion, also known as the Lord's Supper, also known as the Last Supper, also known as Eucharist, a lot of different names for it. Um, and I do just Side wanna... note, yeah, Eucharist simply means Thanksgiving. Oh. So it's a Thanksgiving meal, yep. if, if you grew up using, using that word. Mm-hmm. Um, it, I think it's just helpful to know yeah. that's what it means. That comes from the Greek word Eucharista. There you go. Or something like that. Yeah. I'm not a Greek scholar, so don't ask me anything else about the Greek. <laughs> um, but yeah, so, and I do just want to acknowledge that um, a lot of you may be coming from traditions like mm-hmm. Catholicism or um, Orthodox traditions that practice uh, more than those two sacraments. Um, mm-hmm. Like the Catholic Church includes confession, marriage, last rites, um, a couple of other items as well. Yeah, so, I believe confirmation is considered a sacrament yes. as well. Yeah. Yep. And so um, different traditions practice things differently. Um, But like I said earlier, we're just kind of focusing on the two sacraments that the Evangelical Covenant Church uh, practices and that we practice here at Faith Covenant. So um, if you haven't watched the episodes on baptism yet, um, please do so. But today we're going to delve into our talk about communion. So what is communion or the Last Supper or the Lord's Supper or Eucharist? What is this? Also, sometimes it's called the table. Just simply. Sure. Yeah. yeah. So um, our, our best understanding of everything that we have in the scriptures is finding it in the context of the story. Okay. And so uh, 
we understand Jesus is through the grand narrative, through the grand story of the scriptures. We understand baptism by understanding the story. We understand the Lord's Supper through the story. And we know in the story, um, generations before the birth of Christ, um, when uh, the Hebrew children uh, were slaves in Egypt, uh, God, through Moses, uh, led the Exodus, the, the freeing of the Hebrew children from slavery in Egypt um, through certain plagues. Um, and in one of those plagues, God said he's going to take out the firstborn of all of Egypt. But for the Hebrew children, and when I say Hebrew children, I'm not, I'm not just talking about children. I'm talking about uh, the adults and the children, um, the, the sons and daughters of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Um, for them um, to be protected from the plague that was going to kill the firstborn and everyone in Egypt, they were to have a, a meal, and then they were take, to take the blood of uh, the, the killed animal, the, the, the lamb, and put it on the doorposts of where they lived, of their home. So they took the blood of the lamb and put it over the entrance of the home. And... Um, and it was the blood of the lamb that saved them. And then uh, God, and that was uh, an act of grace that God said, do this and this will, um, this will, I, my favor will be extended to you and, and will save you. So it wasn't necessarily the fact that they did it. It's that God provided a way for them to be saved is one way to think of it. Um, but then throughout the generations in ancient Israel, and even today in Judaism, um, they, the most sacred uh, festival, the most sacred feast annually is the Passover celebration. So Jesus, uh, in his ministry, being a Jewish rabbi, a Jewish teacher with disciples, he's celebrating uh, with the disciples the Passover meal. And what he does is he reconstitutes it Every year they would kill the Passover lamb, every year, you know, uh, for the sins of the people. And, and Jesus, in the Passover meal on this particular occasion, that which we know as the Last Supper, says, um, this bread is my body, this cup, this cup of wine is my blood. Um, thus Jesus becomes the last Passover lamb. He becomes the, the Passover lamb to end the continual sacrificing of animals and the, the system of, of sacrifice, he, he brings an end to it, ushering in what we would call the new covenant or the, the new oath that makes God and humanity one is made possible through the broken body and shed blood of Jesus. And just as Israel in the story celebrated that every year, the Passover lamb, we in the church celebrate the final sacrifice in Christ, um, and we do it um, regularly. What's interesting is over, over the centuries, we have record of uh, churches that celebrate it every week. Um, in the, in the, the Catholic Church, they celebrate Mass every day. Um, we also have record of churches doing it once a year. Um, and so there, there's actually no prescription on how often we're to celebrate the Lord's Supper. We just know that Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. 
And because he said, do this, we take it very seriously. Mm -hmm. And what I love about what you were just talking about is that the, the communion that we practice today is kind of a way of us joining in a story that lasts thousands of years not just thousands of years back to the time of christ Mm -hmm. but thousands of years beyond that absolutely back to the time of the israelite people and this passover that they experienced Mm. um so i I just think that's really rich and really interesting um one thing er, that i do want to mention is that um if you're looking in your bible if you want to read um the story of communion you can find that in either mark 14 verses 22 through 25 Matthew 26, verses 26 through 29. And those two are more or less the same account. And then also in Luke 22, 13 through 20. Um, and the Luke's account just had a couple of added details um, that the other two accounts don't have. Um, and then Paul talks about it more in 1 Corinthians 11, 23 through 25. So we're not going to read those on the podcast. I encourage you to do that, do that on your own time. May, may I just jump in for yeah, one absolutely. second? Because what's interesting in John's gospel, so there are four gospels. Yes. John's gospel, which we've been going through uh, throughout the past year, um, we will finish John's gospel right around Easter, by the way. Um, but John's gospel doesn't have the... Um, the, the Last Supper account in the upper mm-hmm. room where Matthew, Mark, and Luke do. Um, what we get in John's gospel um, is uh, the washing of the disciples' feet, etc. Um, interestingly, though Jesus in, in, in um, uh, John 6 does make the statement that a lot of scholars will say, and I, I kind of tend to agree with them, that he's alluding to um, the Passover meal, where he says, um, my flesh is real, flu- real food and my blood is real drink, mm-hmm. um, which I think tend- tends to illuminate what our understanding of the other Gospels and what they uh, say about uh, the Last Supper. And can I, can I just speak to that just a little yeah, second? Yeah, absolutely. So the, the big debate in Christendom for centuries has been... Um, you know, for the first 1,500 years, essentially, the church held that the, um, the Lord Jesus, um, in the bread and the cup were transformed into the real flesh and the real blood of Jesus. Very literally. Yeah, yeah. Um, so um, when, when the priest performs the Mass, this is what happens. Martin Luther in... Um, the Protestant Reformation um, moved the church away from that, but but Luther did something that I think we we neglect to our peril. Um, he he believed that the Spirit of Christ through the Holy Spirit was was present in the elements in it, not a transformative way in changing the actual molecular makeup of the elements. But that the Spirit of God is present in the elements in, in a way that is beyond our understanding. I'm sure he said it 10 times better than <laughs> I just did. Our denomination, which is actually born out of Lutheranism, uh, holds on to that um, with an open hand. And, and I, I would really encourage all of you who would watch this to, when you come to the Lord's Supper, to... Hold in, in your heart, mind, in your physical being, 
the idea that the Spirit of Christ is powerfully present in the meal and with the church gathered in a way that nourishes the body of Christ, the church, in a way that we probably don't have words for. But one of the things that I have found in my journey in growing as a disciple of Jesus is actually a, 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 a rising value of the work of God in the sacraments, in the Lord's Supper. Um, I just really love the idea that there is a nourishment happening uh, through what God is doing in, in the sacrament that is necessary and bigger than I have words for. And it's, it's deepened my awe, A-W-E, as I come to the table. And um, deep, it's deepened my love, my respect, my, um, my worship of God as we celebrate communion uh, once a month here at Faith. Mm -hmm. And so with that, um, there's kind of a, a question that I get out of some of the things you've said. Um, like you said, we practice it once a week. There are other churches. Once a month. Or, yeah, once a month. Mm. Other churches practice it once a week. Other churches once a year. Yeah. Um, and there's a whole, I think you mentioned this earlier, but there's a whole huge variety of how churches practice it. Some, some churches dip the bread in the mm. wine or the juice. Um, some... They're separate. Um, sometimes it's common cup where everybody drinks mm -hmm. in the same cup, which I don't think post-COVID any church is probably doing anymore. No, some um, of them still are. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, okay. Uh, not us. <laughs> they, uh, real quick, the reason the, people say, oh, that's so gross. The, 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 those churches will use wine specifically, and the argument is the alcohol sterilizes uh, the cup. It, it, Possibly. I, yeah. I don't know. It's it's not part of our tradition, but if you were to be a part of a church or visit a church that does that, that's their rationale mm -hmm. to be respected. So yeah. with that, what, how do we, what do we do with that, with the fact that so many churches practice communion differently? Mm -hmm. Is... Is it our belief here at Faith Covenant that some of those churches are maybe doing it incorrectly? Or would they say that we're doing it incorrectly? How do we move forward as a united body of Christ with so many ways to practice something that is so mm -hmm. important in sure. this faith? Well, uh, I would say a, a number of things. One, we can say that the what, what the Holy Spirit wants to do through the sacraments is up to what the Holy Spirit wants to do with the sacraments. <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, my... Um, me fully understanding what the Holy Spirit is doing in the sacrament of the Lord's Supper um, is does does not make it efficient. Mm. What makes it efficient is what the Spirit of God is doing. And so with that, and I think from our point of view in the covenant, because we hold this with open hands and we recognize um, that God is doing something in the sacraments that are beyond our understanding. And, and because the efficacy of the sacrament is up to God, then I get to hold what other denominations and traditions are doing loosely as well. I get to hold that and, and say, um, I'm going to respect um, 
what you're doing. We're all trying to get this right, which, which is, I think it's important to remember. You know, it doesn't matter whether you're Catholic, Orthodox, Presbyterian, Lutheran, Baptist, whatever. Um, all, these, all these churches are trying to do the right thing, mm-hmm. okay? And so, one, we, we get to respect that mm-hmm. um, and, and honor that. And then, but even more deeply, we get to, we get to trust that the Holy Spirit is working in a, in, in a way that is completely sufficient for the church, um, even though we have different understandings about what is actually happening and its meaning. And, and I, I think that's, um, I'm very comfortable in that place. Um, and I think the mystery is part of the gift. Mm. Um, because if, if, if I come to a point and I say, it, it is, it, here's what it is. <laughs> I my imagine my, I imagine uh, the Lord is saying, "Really, You're, you, you you've you boxed it in, huh? You finally figured it out. It's that, okay? I th- I yes. think it's far. <laughs> I think it's far deeper. In in the same way that you know, if you were to say, "Well, I finally figured out, Kevin. I I've written it down. <laughs> I have Good a paragraph. I have a neat, <laughs> I have a neat paragraph, and I finally figured out, Kevin. One yeah. paragraph, really." <laughs> Yeah, right. But you know, the, the, it's it's too big. The Lord is too big. But the beautiful thing is that the Lord has promised He is present when the church gathers, and He loves the church. And when we remember Him, the Holy Spirit, who is always present with the church, is working and nourishing the church in a way that is completely sufficient according to God's purposes. Hmm. I love that. One, I would just add that I've been able to I've had the opportunity to practice communion in a variety of different ways in a variety of different churches mm-hmm, and different countries even and just getting to do that in a variety of different contexts mm-hmm. and in small groups and in large groups and it, it's just been really rich to just mm-hmm. experience the way that other people experience communion um, there's just something about that that's fascinating I would also add that um, you know you were mentioning that the Bible gives does not give a lot of detail on exactly how we are to practice communion. And that's kind of interesting because God is not shy about giving detail when God wants to give detail. Yeah, good point. Mm-hmm. Um, like when you look at Levitical law in Leviticus, um, mm-hmm. there's a lot of detail to a lot of the things that mm-hmm. God is giving them instruction on. So to me, when I read the scriptures and I see the text about communion and there's not a lot of detail, to me that's God saying this is very important, Mm -hmm. but there is some freedom in how Mm -hmm. to do that. Mm -hmm. Some people would probably disagree with me and that's fair, Um, but I'm just always cognizant of that is God's not afraid of giving detail when Mm -hmm. he wants to. Mm -hmm. Um, And so when there's not necessarily detail, there's potentially the opportunity for thoughtful spirit-led freedom I yeah. think I th- you know one one encouragement if, you, if anyone ever really wants to dive deeply into this is to read the earliest document documents about the value the church in the first 200 to 300 years gave to the Lord's Supper I mean it it the, the value is far higher than we you know today often uh, you know, I've heard, you know, through side conversations, you know, congregants say, people who come, go to church say, well, it's a communion Sunday, so 
you know, I know that's a longer service, so, so I'm, I'm not going to come on that Sunday. Well, boy, you take that back to the early church. And when it came to the, to the Lord's Supper, it was, it was so precious that um, if you weren't a follower of Jesus, you couldn't even be in the room. Um, it, you, you had to be baptized before you could even take the Lord's Supper. It's just, I, I, I'm uh, wonderfully kind of in awe of the value they placed upon it. And it challenged, challenges me to place value on it uh, akin to the way, you know, the, the followers of the Apostle Paul and John and so forth, the way they were doing it as led by the first apostles. Mm -hmm. yeah. Well, and um, just with what you said about looking at other sources for a deeper dive into communion, one thing I want to, um, or a couple of things I want to bring out from this book, it's called Holy, or A Holy Meal uh, by Gordon T. Smith. It's really excellent and fairly brief um, theological exploration about what communion is. So if anybody watching or listening wants to borrow it, let me know. Um, but there's just a couple things that really stood out to me from within this book. Um, this first is this, uh, I'll just read a chunk here and we can both kind of react to it. Um, but it's talking about how, how much eating is central to so many different Bible narratives. Um, so uh, Gordon T. Smith writes this, it is no surprise that the New Testament reveals that eating was important for Jesus and that the New Covenant was both inaugurated and renewed around a meal, the Lord's Supper. But the Last Supper was only one of the many meals Jesus ate. Eating was for Jesus a key means by which he proclaimed the coming of God's reign and acted, or enacted, its arrival. Meals are a central way in which Jesus portrayed the values and vision of the covenant and the meaning of the rule of God. And I just found that to be so interesting because we often really don't think about eating that much as being like a holy activity or, or something that we really need to think about or pay attention to. But if we are talking about Jesus who came as a human mm -hmm. and became human, Jesus had to eat as much as we did, mm -hmm. <laughs> as often as we did. and. And in doing so, Jesus joined in life with us, and then we can then join in life with Jesus. Mm. Um, and it, with that, so a meal is necessary for life. Yeah. If you don't have a meal, then you eventually will die. Yes. <laughs> and I think in the same way, then this meal is necessary for life. This is necessary nutrition for the church, or Jesus wouldn't have instituted it. Mm-hmm. Well, and that also brings up the idea that, like, if, if nutrition is necessary life, and if you need a meal for life, what meal are you having? Yeah. Because you can eat a lot of food all the time, and just because you eat, like, if you eat cheesecake all the time, <laughs> you're probably not going to have a very good quality of life. Mm -hmm. um, eventually, you'll probably get diabetes or something like that and have all kinds of health issues. Likewise the things that we choose to commune with on a spiritual level mm. uh, affect what kind of spiritual nutrition that Absolutely. we get. Um, so, you know, if we're communing with money or power or, you know, those kinds mm. of things, that's not going to be nutritious for us spiritually. Well, can I add to that? Yeah. So Jesus says, 
um, in, when he's in the desert being tempted by Satan, he says, um, man cannot live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. So it's like the word of God is food, and then Jesus offers his body and his blood as food. Mm -hmm. So you put those, those kind of three things together there as basically my word, not my word, Jesus' word, the word of God and the, the blood and flesh of Christ are necessary for life. Mm-hmm. And kind of touching on that, um, this uh, same writer in this book also kind of talks about um, foods and meals are important throughout Scripture, saying, The genius of the event is that it is a meal, a holy meal, but a meal nevertheless. We appreciate its significance all the more when we recognize that the meal is a central motif or theme in the Bible, particularly in connection with God's salvation. The biblical story begins with food. The first human parents were invited to eat with the proviso that their eating was to be an expression of thankfulness, obedience, and dependence on God. And alas, it was in their eating that they also chose to disobey. And so I just thought that was fascinating too, because that just kind of helps us locate be located in that story like you were talking earlier. Yeah, so the context being the uh, Adam and Eve mm-hmm. uh, being told, you know, you can eat it of any of these trees, but if you eat of this one, problem, <laughs> de- death's going to happen. Li- life is yeah. going to be not what it needs to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, literally, you will die. And um, in Jesus saying, you know, I'm going to give my myself as food, so to speak, I'm going to do so so that you may live, mm-hmm. take and eat. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. It's such fascinating stuff. And then there's one portion, one more portion I wanted to read from this book that I thought was really interesting. It is amazing that our salvation is symbolized in an act of eating and drinking. In the event of a meal, we together look back to the failure of our human parents and we look forward to an eating and drinking that will be a part of the kingdom that is yet to come. We also eat, very intentionally, as an act of obedience. Do this in remembrance of me. By this act, we identify with what matters to us most, to live in grateful obedience to God, who is the source of life. And I just love what it said there. We look forward to an eating and drinking that will be a part of the kingdom that is yet to come. Because that's the imagery that we see in Revelation um, when it kind of describes the new heaven and the new earth. It describes, you know, fountains of living water Mm -hmm. and stuff like that. These very sustaining things. A wedding feast? Yes. Mm -hmm. And so there's, you know, food is just, it's this, I I never really fully realized it until I had to read this book, uh, or got to read this book, I should (laughs) say. Um, uh, But food is just kind of this continuing motif, and I think we don't always fully appreciate that. Right. Um, Because, I mean, today in our practice, you know, it's not like necessarily a full meal in terms of, you know, how much food we're eating and consuming. Mm -hmm. Um, But we need to think of it in terms of that on a spiritual level. Like Mm -hmm. this is a meal and we are having it together. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's not just us. Yeah. God is present. Absolutely. Yeah. And, And present in bigger ways than we can fully understand. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that, I think, is an interesting note to end on, is that there is a mysterious element to all of this, both with communion 
and with baptism. Like we don't fully understand baptism either. Like we mm-hmm. we talked about um, with Pastor Shar and Pastor Shara, Sarah. Did I say those Shar and Sarah? Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I was like, did I say Shara and Sar? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but um, with with them, um, we talked about how there's discussion. Should you do infant baptism or believer's baptism? And now, you know, there's multiple ways that you could practice communion. There are mysteries here in these sacraments, Mm -hmm. and that's okay. We don't have to have the answers, you know, to a T on these things. Um, We know that they're important. Um, We know that we need to practice them and take them seriously. Um, But we don't have to have every answer um, because God is just present in them and does for us what we don't understand mm-hmm. um, right. mm-hmm. which i think is is very helpful in our mm-hmm. understanding any last thoughts from you on communion or sacraments more broadly yeah you know i um um i'm i'm in paul's letter to the corinthian church so first corinthians 11 um that that's where we get um uh you know paul says you know i'm basically uh I'm going, to, I'm going to give this to you the way the Lord gave it to me. On the night when he was betrayed, he took bread, he gave thanks. So the words, we call this the words of institution. Before that, Paul does say there, it, it is possible to partake of the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. Mm. And woe upon you if you take it in an unworthy manner. So the question that the church has been wrestling with for a long time is, what is an unworthy manner? And what's a worthy manner? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so uh, just a couple thoughts as, um, as we approach um, the Lord's table is, first of all, I think um, we start with, okay, this isn't random um, flesh and blood we're talking about. This is specific flesh and blood. Uh, the body and blood of the one we call Lord Jesus, who is the Christ, the Christos, the Messiah, the King. Okay, so this isn't you know just generic. <laughs> this is specific. Uh, we're talking about Jesus here. But then, um, in so doing, we come to the table recognizing none of us uh, is perfect, and so we come to the table as sinners, and. Um, it's important that we that I think before we partake, and and we probably need to do a better job with this um, here at Faith when we uh, celebrate the Lord's Supper. Um, I'm saying that humbly, hopefully, um, but we probably need to spend a, a bit more of a focus on hey, let's confess what sins we have on our heart right now. You know, God has already forgiven us through Christ. But it is to our benefit to come to the Lord and say, Lord, I recognize that there's, there's stuff in my life that is getting in the way of our loving relationship. And, um, you know, I was mean to Kevin yesterday. Or, um, uh, you know, or I have a besetting sin that I need to confess to you. And, you know, 1 John 1.9 says that God is faithful. He's, he's, God will forgive us our sins when we confess them. Um, but I think it's to, to come to the table and say, you know, I'm not really a sinner who needs a savior. I don't really need to be forgiven. I don't need the broken body and shed blood of, of Jesus. I think that would be coming in an unworthy manner. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and and or to say I'm going to partake of this, you know, just to please my parents, or you know, I showed up. I don't want to be rude to my host. You know, um, I think I think the Lord wants us to come, um, giving ultimate value to Him as Lord in our worship, and being honest about the fact that we're sinners and we need a Savior. And the good news is. He's provided that Savior. Mm -hmm. He's given us everything we need so that we can live forever uh, with Him, not just then, (laughs) after we die, but now and forevermore. Mm -hmm. Yeah? Sounds good. All right. Well, as always, like I said earlier, if you have more questions, please let me know. Um, You can email me. My email address is in the description area on the episode. So thank you, Pastor Brad, for joining us. Thank you all for listening us to us, and I hope you have a wonderful day. See ya.